Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to another great episode of Mitt Money. Currently, the sun is out shining and it's over 60 degrees as I'm recording this podcast. This, as you can imagine, is making it a little tough, but I truly love this work. Being able to talk to so many interesting people makes this a lot of fun. Regarding today's guest, I couldn't be happier to share a recent conversation that I had with Sharon Crum, who's currently the president and owner of For You, which is a consultant service. Before For You, Sharon worked for over 25 plus years at General Electric in a wide variety of managerial roles, including some stops in Europe. We chatted about some of the challenges that she faced within her own career as she navigated those to success. Along with this, she also provides some very unique insights regarding the process and strategies that are crucial, absolutely crucial for successful M&A activities. While two companies in theory could make a lot of sense, trying to integrate them is often a difficult task. So welcome, Sharon, to Mitt Money. So Sharon, thank you for joining us this morning. How did you initially become interested in a career in finance and procurement? And for yourself, how has that interest evolved over the years? Thanks, William. It's great being here this morning. Growing up, math was always my favorite subject in school. So when it came time to go to college, accounting seemed like a logical fit. But as I progressed through my coursework, my finance classes offered more of a broader view. And I realized that that was more of what my interests were while providing still a solid foundation. And related to procurement, it wasn't until I was globetrotting doing M&A deals I realized how much I love doing deals versus closing the books or creating the next forecast or budget. However, it wasn't long before I realized it wasn't a sustainable lifestyle with three kids and my husband's career in technology at GE as well. As I considered my next role, our CFO approached me about leading the procurement team for our business unit. Procurement was just starting out in financial services back then. And his comment was, go see what you can do. So it turns out there was enormous opportunity because third parties provide good software and services to every part of a business and are critical to their success or can also represent huge risks as well. I quickly learned procurement afforded me the opportunity to negotiate very strategic deals on a flow basis versus the roller coaster of the M&A world, build a global team of procurement professionals be a strategic lever for our business and run my own PL. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And something I want to go dive into a little deeper with our conversation today, Sharon. And so obviously you had a very long career at a couple different companies, but specifically at General Electric, which was the darling of a lot of people, not only Wall Street, but then also the US for many, many, many years, led by their CEO for a long time, Jack Welch, before being passed the torch over to Jeff Lima. But besides the point, as a woman in a lot of high-level leadership roles, as you're just describing, what were some of the challenges that you faced throughout your career? And how were you able to navigate them to achieve the success that you did? For almost my entire career, William, I have worked in what I call white space areas. New initiatives like in the 80s, securitization was new. Sigma outsourcing, GE was big into outsourcing. Procurement, like I mentioned, new geographies as investment opportunities opened up in Europe, 
Japan, Mexico, Brazil, India, new products like telematics. I was able to lead a product introduction in implementing regulatory requirements after the financial crisis in a previously unregulated company. They all brought unique challenges and opportunities. I think as a woman, when I worked and lived in Europe, there were often times when I was the only woman in the room. Also in Asia, having to bow deeper than my male colleagues as a sign of respect was another area that was new at the time to me, but was part of working in that world at that time. I will say working harder and smarter to get to the same compensation and role was a part of it. But I think my differentiator was leading through change. That was the common thread throughout my career and really was how I differentiated myself. I took on roles that nobody else wanted to do because they thought they were too risky. And I also learned when we lived and worked in Europe in the 90s, the importance of creating a shared vision and really getting to know each person and building a relationship with them. And if I was willing to invest the time and get to know people on a personal level and help them understand what we were trying to accomplish and why, then they would be willing to invest themselves in terms of time and effort to move mountains in many cases to accomplish our collective goals, no matter what culture or geography or initiative that we were involved in. Sure. And diving deeper into what you mentioned into operating within a lot of these white spaces per se, a lot of these new market opportunities as they presented themselves, how did you go about balancing risk-taking? I mean, it's not something to where you'd want to go completely outside of your realm of expertise and really going out on a limb. And so towards what you mentioning earlier, maybe from a math background, trying to go practice and become an expert in a completely different field would be difficult. But how do you go about balancing that risk to make sure, okay, I can do this from a calculated risk perspective or just, okay, this is just blatant risk taking. This is something that no one should try and accomplish. That's a great question. I'm an analytic by nature. So I call it chess moves on the chessboard and looking five steps out and understanding how each scenario could potentially play out and really analyzing the situation, understanding what resources I had in terms of time, people, and money to accomplish what someone was asking me to do. I had the benefit of my husband working at GE as well. So we so often in both our careers bounced ideas and opportunities off of each other. We took turns taking roles and going and doing things. And so having him and his understanding of the company, being able to talk through the opportunities and leverage the network of people bounce things off of others and say, what do you think about this? But at the end of the day, I had to be comfortable that while it may be a, G called them stretch assignment, I could in reasonable likelihood, some risk, but reasonable likelihood, advance the ball and define success or be successful in some form or fashion. Sure. Yeah, I could definitely see that. What you're just mentioning earlier about having that analytical mindset, Sharon, I imagine played a pretty important role with the success that you saw within your time at GE, but then also leading the successful M&A activity that you saw. And so I know for a lot of people out there, if they're operating a company, they may see another company that could be operating within their space and they could think that could be a good acquisition. But I'm sure with your background in history, 
you probably think, well, you may want to go look at steps one, two, and three, and may want to look at this with more of a magnifying glass and really trying to shoot from the hip here. And so what would you say are some smart process or different strategies that you can think uh, that can be crucial for that success and for a deal not to go bad? I think that early identification, and I will say honest identification of what exactly are the value drivers of the combination and confirming those in due diligence is what's truly critical. I think a lot of companies, the numbers are the easy part, putting together a pro forma that makes the combination look successful is easy. Anyone can do that. But really understanding what are the value drivers and making sure that you can execute on them and sustain them is critical. I think secondly is creating an integration plan and putting together an all-star team that can stay laser focused on nurturing and preserving those value drivers through integration and beyond is the second key thing. So often cultural fit is overlooked and minimized as well, but companies are built by people. So clearly understanding how they attracted, developed and retained their talent is critical, even if it means changing your own culture. So for example, if in the combination, it's about acquiring new products or a culture of innovation, you have to preserve and incubate and integrate that part of the culture into the new company, or you'll never realize the full value. And I think so often it's easy to look at the numbers, do the standard parts of due diligence and M&A work, but the secret sauce is really in understanding the value drivers, the culture, and making sure that you preserve and carry on so that you don't lose the people and you don't actually end up whittling away all the value that you are actually after to begin with. Certainly. I think for a lot of people too, to your point exactly, it's easy to go take a look at the numbers, but diving in here pretty deep, if you're not good about integrating or maybe you're thinking about this acquisition not from the best of terms, it could turn into a pretty big liability versus an asset for an organization. So I could definitely see that. And so obviously, it's very easy to see that you've had a very long and successful career in the corporate world working for GE and several other companies as well. So what inspired you as you're thinking about starting four year, which is a consulting firm that you started, what inspired you to go make that transition from being an executive to being an entrepreneur? I grew up in a meritocracy of empowered accountability. GE had a very clear foundation of values, integrity being the cornerstone and a non-negotiable. And over the years, I've come to realize that I'm inspired by and thrive in that kind of environment. And so do so many of the people that I've worked with over the years and all over the world. The most talented ones, I think, seem to thrive in that kind of environment. And so I decided, why not start my own company with that kind of culture at the center and see what we can go do? And then how do you take upon the extensive career background that you have to help clients navigate through some of these complex business challenges? I mean, are you acting as a respected confidant to go try and help out through... I'm just going to go throw out there some M&A possible activity. Are you helping out with different other areas? Is the topic area pretty broad that you help out other people with? It's pretty broad at this point. M&A is and can be one of those. But I think 
solving complex business problems has always kind of been my thing or my jam. And I enjoy the challenge. My approach has always been to come in from a tops down, bottoms up approach. So what I mean by that is understanding from a strategic perspective, what it is that the company is trying to accomplish. What is the problem we're trying to solve? Why do the acquisition or merger? And then if it's a problem or an initiative, I'm a bottoms up learner. I learn from the details and then work my way up. So my approach is to come in and listen and learn, which allows me to really connect the dots and often identify where the issues are or the challenges may be. And then I always go back and confirm what I've heard and what I'm seeing, which I think is critical to get buy-in so people feel like they've been heard. And it also builds trust across and in the organization. They don't think you're coming in with an agenda because you're sitting there next to them. You're listening to what they're saying. You understand what their challenges are each day, which allows me then to come in, formulate a plan. Communication is critical up and down the organization and across. And then I've always led, I call it through the middle of the organization. So taking that plan, leading change through the middle of the organization is really where and how I've been most successful in the approach that I use with my clients today. I could certainly see that. And so as you reflect upon your extensive career, what are some of those key takeaways that you'd like to go share with others looking to achieve the same level of success in the corporate world and beyond? Because not only have you had success here domestically, but then also internationally in a whole wide variety of different roles. And so I'm sure there's a couple of different things you could touch upon or Maybe what are those one or two key things looking back if you go tell yourself as you're leaving the University of Illinois? That was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, do people say, my dad went to Illinois, and so I know it's fighting Illini, but so I went to CMU, and so whenever you see another person, you say, oh, go fire up chips. And so I was trying to think of the Illinois thing to go insert in there, but my neurons weren't firing much going back and forth. What is that thing from one sports Illini fan to another? You would say I-L-L, and I would respond with I-N-I. Okay, okay. Maybe not so much like a, a podcast, and like you can go say for U of M, go green or go white. Anyway, a little bit of a dovetail. And so what are some of those key takeaways that you would share? I think my key takeaways would be really spend time to determine what's important to you and understand what you enjoy doing. Companies may try to convince you to take a role or lead an initiative or tell you you can have it all because it's in their best interest to do so, but it may not be in yours. I always knew that my marriage and my children were the most important things in my life and always would be. So key decisions became clear pretty quickly when I was looking through that lens. And from a values perspective, I always knew what I would do and what I wouldn't do, even if it meant losing my job. I've always told my kids and anyone that I've coached or mentored over the years, spend way too much time working throughout your life. So do everything in your power to want to put your feet on the floor every morning and go to work. In other words, define what success is for you because there's no set path and there are many ways to get there. That's some pretty powerful advice. And so I appreciate you mentioning that. And so these next couple questions are some that I ask all the guests. And so Sharon, what would you say is your most important daily habit? I start off my day with daily devotions because it puts me in the right frame of mind. Certainly. 
What would you say is your favorite TV or streaming show you're currently watching or have recently? So this one I would highly recommend. It's called The Bear. It's a series on Hulu about a James Beard award-winning chef who's inherited his brother's challenged restaurant and is working to turn it around. I know a restaurant and chef may not sound so exciting, but I would highly recommend it. It's a really good series. I appreciate it. If you can remember just one thing, Sharon, what would it be? Coming alongside and helping others in their time of need. Perfect. And so for those people who want to learn more about yourself, Sharon, or for you, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? Probably the best way, William, is I recently created a foundation in memory of my husband. And so everyone can stay tuned to hear what the Fulcrum Foundation is doing. Well, perfect. Thanks for mentioning that. And thank you, everyone, again, for listening to another episode of Mitt Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you, William. You've been listening to Mitt and Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com.